Daniel chapter 7, as we go there, I think back uh, to a day where uh, we're living up in uh, Northern California, and we lived about a half hour from Bodega Bay. How many of you have been to Bodega Bay? Um, and uh, that was the kind of the coastline for where we lived. And uh, just a tip, just a tip uh, for those of you from Southern California, uh, the Northern California coast is not the same. It's just not the same. It's angry up there. It's angry. And, uh, I, you know, you kind of go and you look at pictures. It's very picturesque. It's beautiful. Um, you know, and I'm from Southern California. I grew up in Santa Barbara. And so you, you go in the ocean. It's the same water, right? Pacific. I, I saw the map. Um, and, uh, you know, it's the same, right? And so, but, but as we, you know, we start reading the news and stuff as we move up there, it like, I don't know, every month or so, someone dies swimming. They lose a dog or two that goes out in the water. Uh, somebody's dumb enough to go out, out in the water and go looking for fish or whatever, and they get eaten by sharks and stuff like that. It's, uh, and, and, you know, as you start going, man, it's not the same. Maybe, you know, I remember we went out there as a family to Bodega Bay one afternoon, it was after church even, and uh, we, we went out there, and we went out to Bodega Bay in this, this cove, this beautiful cove, and we went down by the water, and there were, uh, there was, I can say this, he was a German guy, okay, uh, a foreigner, uh, he was traveling in the States, and he was, you could tell by his thick German accent and his swimming suit that he was not from here, but uh, uh, anyways, uh, uh, he was, uh, he, he, he was going to go in the water, and, and like I, I just looked at him, and I go, he shouldn't do what he's going to do right now. Like, there's riptides, and I just remember him going to the edge of where the tide was coming in and laying down, and uh, he was just getting mangled by the waves, just mangled, and eventually his uh, friends and family convinced him to not go in any further, uh, which was wise, because uh, he didn't know what he was doing. I was thinking about uh, things that we don't know how to do, that we've never experienced. I think about uh, what, what it would be like if you lived in Africa and uh, you lived in a tribal jungle somewhere where you weren't exposed to anything. Uh, you, you'd experienced very um, fearful things and learned to deal with them, but then someone brings you to the United States and takes you to Magic Mountain and puts you on a roller coaster. And how terrified you'd be once it was rolling. And how you wouldn't know if you were going to die or whether this was some kind of way to kill you uh, because you hadn't experienced it. But if you grew up uh, in the United States, as a kid here, you go, oh, wouldn't it be great to go to Magic Mountain? Uh, But if you didn't know, uh, it would be the natural reaction to fear. If you didn't know what was coming next. By the way, Um, your goal as God's people is to not make each other fearful. You know, that's part of the encouragement of life that God calls us to. Uh, Some of you are going to have to go uh, through surgery, even uh, extreme surgeries in the next months and years. And what should we say to you? What should we say to you? Fear not. Why? Yeah, a lot of times we like to say, oh, Oh, that's not a that's not a major surgery. That's a minor surgery, you know. And you guys know what minor surgery is, right? A surgery that's on somebody else, <laughs> right? 
Um, we should be calming to one another. And it's not because it's no big deal. Uh, there's some huge things that will happen in the months and years ahead in your lives. But we should remind you that you can trust in a God who loves you so much, a God who rules and reigns over all. And even if things will become uh, crazy in the months and years to come, and even in the plan of God, He can be trusted. He can be trusted. And that's what the Scripture gives us as an outline uh, to the things that are to come. Uh, in Daniel chapter 7, where we'll be uh, this morning, um, there's a lot going on in Daniel chapter 7. Uh, we're not going to get as far as I was hoping this morning, which is okay. Uh, we got nothing but time, and if the Lord returns before I get done with Daniel chapter 7, we'll really know what it means, right? We will really know. Let me pray for us and ask God's blessing on our time. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, that it is helpful to us to know what is going to happen, that we would not fear even though it seems fearful, but also that we would know the end, that we would know uh, that you're working out your plan. Uh, God, do your work in us now. Um, God, I pray that you would calm all of our hearts and cause us to trust you more that we would not trust in our own devices and the uh, things that the world trusts in, or money and success and personal effort, uh, that we would trust in uh, the good news of Jesus Christ, that we might have a relationship with you and confidence that we are part of your family and trust in your son Jesus, uh, the one uh, who will work out uh, our salvation and bring us home to you. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so Daniel chapter 7. Uh, Daniel has a dream, a vision. We're kind of review and review and review as we walk through this. There's much in here. and uh, I Let's just get to it. Uh, Daniel chapter 7. We talked about it last week, the first few verses, that, uh, that these that Daniel had a dream vision uh, as a touch different than Nebuchadnezzar's dreams uh, that he had in chapter 2. And uh, Daniel, as God's man, God gave him a vision of what was to come. And this vision, uh, as you see in those first few verses, there's four winds coming from really all over, all around in different directions, causing chaos in the sea of humanity. Uh, out of that chaos, out of that uh, storm, if you will, there comes four beasts. And that's kind of where we let off last week uh, as we looked at these, just touched upon these four beasts. This morning, I, I'm hoping uh, that I can identify further uh, the players in chapter 7, the, the beast as well as uh, the little horn and uh, as well as the ancient of days and the son of man. And as we look at these, uh, I just, you know, hopefully that will give us a little bit picture, uh, better picture of what is to come. I, I, we are going to stay in Daniel chapter 7 this week um, and the next week is Mother's Day. Uh, I'm probably going to not talk about Daniel on Mother's Day. I didn't think it would be a good idea to talk about the Antichrist uh, on Mother's Day. <clears throat> I, didn't th I didn't think that was appropriate. 
And then the following week, uh, we probably will uh, take a, a larger dive into who the Antichrist is throughout Scripture. And, uh, and then the following week, we'll probably get back into Daniel chapter 7 or vice versa. So anyways, uh, that's kind of where we're going. Some of you are nosy and you always want to know what's coming next. Uh, so there it is. That's my plan. It could change. But Mother's Day is, Lord willing, it's, it's happening next week, okay? That is a, a shot across the bow for some of you who didn't know what time it was, right? Um, be nice to mothers. Be nice to mothers. Um, Daniel chapter 7. We, we're going to hopefully identify and describe a little bit more uh, what's going on in Daniel chapter 7. I, I, I want to just highlight, first of all, in these beasts... Uh, there's a strength in animals. We do it all the time. Uh, many uh, sports teams have animals as their mascot. Why? Because it's meant to describe their strength and to be feared by the other team. And so this is the picture as we look at uh, these beasts that came out of the sea of humanity in this uh, four winds that are coming all the way around. I want to remind you, too, that these beasts are are not koala bears and little bunnies, right? Uh, It's significant. Uh, These aren't the kind of things that, uh, you know, it's ferocious. It's meant to highlight their strength. And so as we look at these, uh, keep that in your mind. Um, This section of Scripture in Daniel chapter 7, I want to tell you, that we looked at a similar passage in chapter 2 that outlined these things in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And so if you want to think more about that, go back to chapter 2 and and really read through that. As well as this section really provides the basis for what's going to happen in the book of Revelation as we have more details. I want to tell you too that um, the Bible... Uh, theologians have called it progressive revelation, meaning that as you walk throughout Scripture, you get more details. You get more details. And so some of you, um, how, how, many of you how many of you sometimes when you pick up a book, you read the last chapter? How many of you do that? Some of you are uh, committed and you're, like, yeah, you're, you're nosy and you're like, ah, I, don't want, I just want to know what's going to happen. Um, we have people in our family that will you know, watch, you know, they'll figure out who wins the, the game show by just looking it up online because they don't, you know, they want to know. Um, I, I want to tell you that that's, that's fine to do. You know, the scripture's ours. We, we should read the book of Revelation. And there are more details in Revelation, but not without the idea that we can add, there's some details in Daniel that aren't in Revelation, and they provide the basis for it. And so we, what you see is progressive revelation in that God's giving us details throughout the course of history, uh, and all of them together really give us the fullest possible picture of what is to come. <clears throat> we pick up the story uh, or the vision this morning on verse 4, where Daniel is describing um, the first beast, and he says this, and he, he has a vision of this, and so he, remember he said in, uh, I think it was verse 2, that he said that, um, that he wrote down the sum of them. He, he was writing, as he had this vision in the night, 
that he, as it came to mourn, he, he wrote it down as best he could, the sum of it, not all the details, but the sum of what it was, the, the highlights, if you will. And this is what we have um, recorded for us in Daniel chapter 7. Verse 4, it says this, uh, um, the, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then I looked at its wings, were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. The mind of a man was given to it. As you look at this and you remember back to the uh, chapter 2, you see him walk through different kingdoms. And why are kingdoms important? Well, it's, it's we look at it as world powers. And at that time, uh, it was really the power of the whole world was incorporated into these kingdoms. And the first one being Babylon, the one of Nebuchadnezzar. We see that identified clearly in chapter 2 and now reiterated this kingdom. Uh, he says, is like a lion, like a lion. Uh, and that's it's kind of funny, like a lion, but with eagle's wings. Okay, uh, And you picture that and you go, well, this isn't just a lion. Because it's not just a lion, it's a lion with eagle's wings. And you go, well, I've never seen one of those. And he goes, I know, you've never seen this before. A, a lion with eagle's wings. He takes, first of all, the king of the jungle, and he kind of connects it with that which is the king of the air, that which is ferocious uh, from the skies. He connects these two as part of a vision of uh, the time of Babylon, the king of Nebuchadnezzar. As you... As you think about Nebuchadnezzar and the time of Babylon, and we, we looked at that really in the first five, five or so chapters, four or so chapters in uh, the book of Daniel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was uh, an incredible ruler, like he was a powerful man. And it describes in this uh, his kingdom as being one uh, that, that was significant, described by a lion and eagle, with eagle's wings. And Nebuchadnezzar... Uh, in the chapter 2, you know, it was the gold head. He was the most significant. Um, and yet, what does it say? It says that this lion with eagle's wings uh, had these wings, but they were plucked off. But if you reflect back to Nebuchadnezzar's reign, what happened, right? He was super significant, and then uh, he had this seven-year period where he was meant... Uh, he was humbled, he was humiliated, and that he lost his mind and he went to live with the beasts of the field. Uh, and he lived as a madman uh, with animals. And uh, this is the picture of his humiliation. And then it says he was made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to, to it. Meaning uh, that he was just a man. He was just a man. You, you have this uh, amazing, almost... Godlike uh, picture of an animal that would be amazing and magnificent and powerful as Nebuchadnezzar was, but just a man, but just a man. And so uh, as you look at this kingdom, uh, you see incredible strength and abilities, king-like, king-like, but there was weakness and that they were plucked off. He was humiliated. He was brought down. And then just a man. And as you look at these kingdoms, I want you to think about the kingdoms that we are familiar with now in this present time. Uh, what's the greatest country in the world? 
I don't know. <laughs> I, hope, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so, right? Uh, if we got in a war with uh, Russia, what would happen? Most of the time, we, well, all my people, all my people, and when I say my people, you're my people, but some of you have connections and stuff like that. You say, oh, Russia, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. Uh, we, you know, they're, they're not as significant. As, you know, what about Iran? Oh, please. Come on. Iran? You know, uh, and then, how about China? Well, you know, China's got some stuff going on. Or, you know, Navy's pretty significant. I don't know. That, yeah, but, but I'm pretty sure we could, you know, you know, I think even China thinks that we could beat them in a war. But what about economics? And what about this? And, you know, who are the greatest super? Like, you think about these things, and there's always this jockeying for position. And there's always this idea of kings and kingdoms being significant to be feared and realize, wow, that's, that's amazing what they can do. How about uh, other countries in the world that maybe are world powers like Chile? Some of you are laughing. Some of you can't, you were thinking where Chile is. You know, you, oh, that, that's the bottom. Got it. Um, what about Korea? South Korea, North Korea. South Korea is an ally. North Korea, we don't know what's going on over there. You think about that, and you think about these kingdoms, and we think elections and politics and allies and and these things, these are the significant things, as they did in the time of the writing of the book of Daniel. It's significant, right? In Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar was significant. He moves on from verse 4. To verse 5, look at it. Uh, Verse 5 says this. And behold, another beast. So there was the first beast, and now there's another beast. A second one, like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in, in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. Um, we live in Bear Valley Springs. So maybe that's talking about Bear Valley Springs. Um, no, it's not. It's not. Um, couldn't find Bear Valley Springs from uh, Babylon. Um, but the second kingdom or the second king or the second period of time dynasty, if you will, uh, it was marked by a bear. And a bear is an incredibly imposing, uh, you know, is a fearful animal. Those of us who, you know, we, we do encounter bears from time to time here in Tehachapi, um, mostly in your garbage. But... Uh, the, the picture of a bear, you can, you, you, you can picture a bear just kind of messing around looking for garbage, but then they rise up, then they rise up, and you say, oh, maybe I should be getting out of here now. Uh, and, and maybe the picture of this uh, to one side is, a, is about ready to, to lunge or to uh, uh, go after its prey. It pictures, too, it says three ribs, and uh, some commentators believe that this is the three areas around it that there was during the Medo-Persian Empire, the next empire, uh, there was this conquest to these three areas around. Uh, it was a taking in and a large, large group of, of people. The Medo-Persian uh, Empire was a lot of people, a lot of land. And so uh, that was the second one, the one that was bear-like, ready to attack Three ribs and a teeth, teeth and teeth. It says, "Arise and uh, devour much flesh." So I, I want to point out something too. As you're thinking through history, uh, the history of the book of Daniel, you have Nebuchadnezzar's reign, and then you have the Medo-Persian reign. 
Uh, and during that time, during that time, what the significant event that happened was not Daniel in the lion's den, but in the days after where uh, Cyrus sent home or allowed the captivity to end and that God's people would go back rebuilding the temple and the walls. And so you see that happening during that time. Uh, that is the second kingdom or king, the bear, okay? And then uh, we come to verse 6. Verse 6, and there's a lot of details here. I'm going quickly. Uh, There's a reason for that. I'll hopefully explain that. Verse 6 says this, After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and beasts had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Uh, We come to this third uh, beast. The beast was a leopard. And and. When you think of a leopard uh, and how they attack and their strength, it's not like the bear, right? The bear's huge and massive and strong. The leopard, uh, it's ferocious and quick, okay, and quick. You have this picture of a leopard, the way it attacks. You've all seen uh, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Uh, If you haven't, you didn't live through a great era of television on Sunday evening, Um, but uh, there's all these pictures how these animals attack and you'd see the leopard and how it would come and it would stalk and be quiet. And then in an instant, uh, it would quickly speed. Um, as you compare the, the third kingdom or the third beast to the second beast, you realize a bear was massive, but the leopard was ferocious in a different way. Um, it says, like a leopard with four wings on its back, uh, uh, of its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. As you think about that, you, you have this picture of this incredibly swift uh, being able to attack and ferocious in an instant, uh, which is marked really by the, the Grecian uh, period, t- the, the time of the Greeks, that they would come in, and they uh, was the dynasty then. And there was different. This idea of this beast had four heads. There were some famous conquering generals that were known by the Greeks that most likely are directed by these four heads. But it's interesting to say at the end of this uh, description of them, identity of them, it says this, and dominion was given to it. Dominion was given. Uh, This picture here is this, and we're going to look at this later. Because it, the Ancient of Days talks about the Son of Man and also even uh, to the saints, this idea of dominion or, or ruling. It was given. And, and I think that it's important for us to get pictured. How did Nebuchadnezzar become in charge? How did the kings after him become in charge? Even his uh, son or grandson, Belshazzar. How, how did they come to power? And then how did... Uh, you have the other kings, Darius and Cyrus, and how did the great Roman Caesars come to power? How did all that come about? How, right now, uh, did Joe Biden become president, if he's president or whatever? And how did, forgive me for saying it that way. If you want to talk about that later, we can. Uh, but how did Donald Trump become president? And Barack Obama, and like, how, how, do, how do people come to leadership? And how do kingdoms come to a position of power? 
And you say, well, military might, of course, and strategy and uh, coalitions and, and gaining supporters and being able to... Like, there's all these man-made pictures. But you know this. You know this. That as you look at the scriptures, you see history unfold. But you realize that God is in charge of history and he's doing things. And as the Greeks came to power, they had dominion for a time, for a season, it's going to say. And why? Well, it's somehow part of God's plan. If you look at this, you can see in the time of um, the second beast, the bear, I mentioned this earlier, God's people went back to, uh, they got, the captivity ended, right? They got to go back uh, to Jerusalem and fix the walls and the the temple and reestablish some things. Well, what happened during the time of the Greeks, right? The language, right? So some people really chart this as really preparing for the time of Christ during Rome. What happened with Rome, right? Roads and travel and all these different things. And, and you see the preparation of God in, in history. Uh, we don't see all that he was doing, but we know that he's always working, even in uh, pagan kings and kingdoms. Think about that. It doesn't have to always be right for God to be working out his righteous plan. I think that's important for us to remember in this day and age, especially for us to remember things don't have to be right for God to be working out his plan. Okay, and so we see this, uh, this third kingdom, this Grecian kingdom, if you will, uh, being marked by a leopard, uh, leopard. Uh, which brings us to the fourth beast, the fourth beast, verse 7. Now, before we get rolling into the fourth beast, the fourth beast is the most important one. Um, all those, uh, the three prior, are meant to build up to, right? In fact, I would even say the second and third, though the people who, who lived in those second and third kingdoms, they thought it was a big deal. Uh, it wasn't as significant as Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom nor was Nebuchadnezzar and the other three as significant as the fourth kingdom, okay? It's not even close, not even close. Both the earthly and the, uh, the, the one that happened in history and the one that will happen in history. You come to the fourth beast. It doesn't describe it as it does in uh, chapter 2, but you do see that, that you get pictures. Verse 7 says this, um, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast... I want to just share with you that it doesn't say another animal here. It, it, it's going to describe what happens without identifying an animal. Uh, terrifying and dreadful. Terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had iron, great iron teeth. It devoured and broke into pieces and stamped out what was left with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that had been before it and it had ten horns. We'll stop there. Um, so now you have this fourth beast, this fourth beast, uh, really connected to Rome, Rome, which was the next great, uh, great empire after that. Um, it, it was more than the others. Uh, it says this, it was terrifying, dreadful, and strong. Now, uh, when you're poor and weak, you look at every, every kingdom that comes along. But, but this is compared to the other ones. This was more uh, dreadful and more terrifying and stronger than the other ones. And you, you have a picture in history 
of what Rome did, it was crushing, it was breaking, it was stamping out. And as, as Daniel was reflecting on his, uh, what he had seen, he, he said, you know, I've looked at all these, these beasts and that this fourth one that came, it was different. It was different. And, and, and that's what really should set us apart and say this, you know, and the, the first kingdom was a big deal. The second kingdom was a big deal. The third kingdom was a big deal. But this is different. This is different. And so it's a heightened sense, right? It's, it's greater than. And it's greater than how? By its crushing, its strength, its ter- this, this fearful uh, picture of what is to come. He describes further, he says it had great iron teeth. Iron is not pretty, but it is strong. And the picture of Rome uh, in chapter 2 was not that there was these great uh, magnificent things, but the, the, the power of Rome and kind of brute force of how Rome went about uh, conquering its land, crushing. We know uh, from history that Rome ruled for about 700 years, from 336 B.C. Uh, to 447 B.C. You, you have this picture of a long period of time. I'm sorry, that was 47 B.C., 47 A.D., um, Got those numbers all mixed up. Sorry. 700 years. Uh, what we picture here, and this is, this is hard for us to get to, and this is part of the progressive revelation of it all, okay? There's not a whole lot of description and twist here, but you see in this, this, uh, this section that we're looking at, he reflects on historical Rome, historical Rome, and then he's going to reflect on a future Rome, a future Rome that hasn't happened yet. And I would say from where we stand, it hasn't happened yet. I'd say this, too. And this is why some speculate uh, when you think of future Rome, what's in Rome? You know, I should ask Brandon, what's in Rome? Uh, you know, you've been to Rome, Right. Uh, Vatican City and that area and the connection to uh, the Catholic Church. And you say, oh, you know, that's where, yeah, that's where people get it. it it's not described here. It's not, it's not marked as something, but that's why people have gone back to that. And so I wonder if, how that plays in to these end times events, okay? So you have a past Rome or a historical Rome and a future Rome spoken of here in this section, we're not going to be able to accomplish all the identification that needs to happen this morning, but we're dipping into it. So you want, you're going to want to come. And that's, uh, you're going to be uh, frustrated if you, if you miss out on this because there's a lot here that needs to be unpacked. Um, and it would take about four hours um, to do it this morning. Maybe we should have done it anyways. Um, I don't know if I would have lasted, but... As you look at this, you see a future kingdom. You see uh, a historical kingdom that they were referring to that they knew about and we know about and we can see, but also a future kingdom. In this kingdom, it describes this vision that Daniel had. He says, I saw ten horns, ten horns. And the the picture of horns, as you look in the Old Testament, as you see this, uh, horns represent kings. And so where are we at? Okay, there's uh, kingdom, Rome, kingdom, uh, ten horns, 
ten kings. Ten kings. If you look in chapter 2, it's ten toes. You know, it's that same picture of ten kings, ten toes. So if you're trying to get a picture of this in your mind, you say, well, there's going to be a Rome. There was a Roman kingdom. There will be a Roman kingdom. And there will be ten kings. Now, I would just ask you, how big is the kingdom going to be in those days? You, you should have an answer right now. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that there's going to be ten kings. Ten kings over whatever that area is, okay? And, and, and I, want, I want you to be careful uh, of what you think you know, right? We can only know what the Scripture tells us. And some of that is difficult to interpret. And so what I want to tell you is that God isn't attempting to give us all that's going to happen. He is not attempting to do that. I say attempting. That's the wrong way. If God wanted to, he could. He could. He, he's not going, oh, you know, I really wish I could, but I just can't communicate well enough to these dense people that I created. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I want you to know that this is somehow part of his plan, but we can know this. There will be ten horns. Ten horns. Okay? Uh, that's at the end of this description of this fourth beast. And now we're getting a little dicey. Uh, end of verse 7, it says, And it had ten horns. Verse 8, I considered the horns, meaning the ten, and behold, there came up from among them another horn. So how many we got now? Eleven. Even the public school kids from Tehachapi got that one, right? Uh, ten, add one, eleven. There's, a, there's another one. Um, and it says it came up from among them another horn, a little one. Let me ask you a question. Where's the little horn going to come from? Look at the scriptures. From among them, right? From among the other ten. So you have this Roman kingdom, this future Roman kingdom. There's somehow ten kings over that. And from among them, there will come another one. Uh, gives kind of the picture that the ten are established and then there's this other one, this other one. And uh, it says a little one, a little one. And I find that interesting um, because he uses a term, uh, he's going to say later that the little one had great words, but it describes him as a little one. Um, as you think about that, I, I want you to get this picture that whoever this little one is, he's little, he's insignificant. Even if uh, there's great things that happen through him, okay? And, and I think that's important to get. Uh, when we look at uh, this section of Scripture, we see kings and kingdoms that are terrifying. We see uh, in the future... Uh, kings that we would have to look to or even live under, okay? But even this little horn, that uh, just incredible destruction, he's little. And you say, well, how can he be little? I think it has everything to do uh, with the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. As we consider what, who God is, His Son's work and the rule and dominion that they have, even the greatest events of this life and this earth pale in comparison. 
And uh, we are trusting in the one who is working out his plan and the one who will reign forever. So what do we see? Well, uh, in this little horn, in this little horn, verse 8, it says the little one before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. Now you have three other kings of the ten that were plucked up or were removed by the little horn. Okay, we're not into identification yet, but we're describing there's 10 kings, there's one extra, that's 11, and then there's three that are plucked up or, or brought to an end uh, by this little horn. I'll just say this, and uh, we will dive in deeper. The identity of the little horn is that of Antichrist, and there's been much, much written about the identity of the Antichrist. And um, what can I say now that uh, just to hold you over for a couple of weeks? I, I, w- I want to tell you there's really three uh, different issues in the Antichrist. First, there's the spirit of Antichrist, which is at work in the world today. You see it everywhere. It's the idea that. Uh, it raises itself up against the Savior, Jesus Christ, all the time. The spirit of Antichrist is at work in uh, Iran and uh, China and Russia, but it's at work in the United States as well. And there are people uh, that are driven by the spirit of Antichrist, this idea that they are, are trying to raise themselves up as another king. That, that's what it is. Remember that. It's the idea, I'm a greater king. I'm a more important king. Uh, and we too here in this room have struggled with this idea of the spirit of Antichrist working itself out in our decisions and the choices that we make. There's also been Antichrists. And it's small a, right? Small, small, not the Antichrist, but people who have uh, exemplified those and even maybe even thought themselves to be at times the actual Antichrist. But then there's also one that is to come, a singular Antichrist, one that is spoken of as part of these end time events that the whole world will uh, focus on even for um, a moment or a time, a period So now you have, uh, we're unpacking these. You have the ten kings, uh, minus three, or plus one, minus three, okay? Um, The little horn, and we're going to come back to him in a moment. In verse nine, in verse nine, and we read through some of this just briefly last week, it says, as Daniel was having this vision, he says this, and as I looked, thrones were placed, And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and his hair hair of his head was pure wool. His throne was was fiery flames, and uh, uh, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. As you see this, you see the Ancient of Days. We talked about this briefly last week. We talked about how this is really uh, one of the few times in Scripture it talks about the Ancient of Days. Our Heavenly Father being spoken of as the Ancient of Days. But I want you to just uh, briefly, we're going to come back to this in a couple of weeks, but 
As you think about uh, how he is described, identify and describe, uh, thrones were placed. Thrones were placed. Uh, who takes, uh, who has a throne? There's a throne. A king has a throne. And there are uh, kings, you know, we've already gone through kings and kingdoms, right? There's, there's kings that sit on the throne. They're, they're powerful people. But the Ancient of Days, it pictures him as being one who took his seat. He took his seat, the seat of rule, the place where he is going to rule. And then it describes him. His clothing was white, his hair. Uh, this picture of magnificence and different and, and, and purity. Uh, as you look at this, this magnificent picture of what his uh, appearance was. It says of his throne... Uh, it gets this fiery flames and its wheels were burning fire. It was a magnificent picture that, that showed power and, and this, this fire that was coming. But then I want, I want you to get what it says next. Um, and, and like I said, we'll look at it further in the weeks to come. But w- what does it say? And I, I want you to get these. It says, uh, verse 10, verse 10, a, a stream of fire was issued and it came out before him. And then it says a, a thousand thousands served him and 10,000 10, stood before him. The picture here is this, that all are before him, that all are uh, subservient to him, that there is no other that is, uh, they, they all come before his throne. I think it's important for us to remember that all high and mighty men, all high and mighty rulers of kings of kingdoms, right? You look at this, and, and this picture is the most magnificent, the most pure, the most powerful, the one who sits on his throne, their heavenly father, the ancient of days. God, we ask whatever's going on in our community, uh, people needing help uh, physically, Lord, that you would be with them and our firefighters and police that uh, protect us even now. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ancient of days, the, the picture, and that all are before him, all. And as you think through what's going on now, and, and, and even as this uh, applies to your life, you are not king or queen. You are not of anything. Of anything. I know next week, Mother's Day. I want you to get this. This is part of acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He is your Savior, but He's also your Lord. The, the, the idea that we were under, the ancient of days, that the, our Father is not just a Father that we push around and get a bunch of stuff from. He's the one that we worship because he's of his magnificence. He's the one that's ruling all the time. And part of that is him giving dominion to the Son. And so, uh, as I said, we'll come back to this, uh, this idea. And, and it ends up with like court is in session. The books are open. Verse 11 goes back to the little horn. Um. Verse 11 says this, I, I looked then because of the sound of great words that the horn was speaking. 
And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As the rest of the beasts, their dominion were taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. That Those couple of verses I just read to you really uh, just bring about the end. What, what is going to happen? The beast is destroyed. And you say, is that beast the little horn? Yes and more, right? What was the fourth beast? The fourth beast was Rome, right? And out of that, that beast or that great beast, even not given an animal type name, you have these ten horns, ten horns, plus one, minus three. And the whole beast is destroyed and Antichrist is part of that. He was killed. Um, and as you look at this, the body destroyed, given over to be burned with fire. That's the judgment. But look at this in verse 12. It says, And for the rest of the beasts, their, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And, and what you get here is kingdoms, kings and kingdoms, how long do they last? Four years, right? In the great United States, four years. Or eight if they get reelected. Uh, I, I want you to get this, that, that kings and kingdoms, they only last for a season at a time. Who decides how long? God does. It's part of his plan, right? And as you see things happening and as you, you watch kings arise and fall, you realize that it's just for a season and a time. We saw that in the kingdoms that went before. We saw that described. Uh, Daniel showed Nebuchadnezzar that, and then he had a, a similar vision of these things. And as he looked at them, he realized that they are just for a season and a time. And that's the United States, China, Russia, Iran, Korea, and any other country that you think of, just for a time. Well, um, we move on, and uh, as I said, we're going to come back to all these things. But in verse 13, uh, we see the Son of Man. He said, I, I saw in the night visions, and behold, uh, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Once again, before him. The Ancient of Days being on his throne, the Son of Man coming before him. And to him, being the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Um, I'll just say this, that that. This picture of the Son of Man, and once again, we're going to get more details in the New Testament and specifically, in, in, in the end, in fullest detail in the book of Revelation. We're going to into, dip into that in the weeks to come, cross-referencing and trying to bring together some of the passages in Revelation to Daniel. But know this, that as the Son of Man uh, does what He does down here on this earth, but also in... Uh, this coming to fruition or bringing about the end of the plan. Uh, there's this handing over of dominion 
uh, from the Ancient of Days to the Son of Man. And, and what you get is this, and, and this is the picture that we're struggling with right now. Uh, what is not true right now in a, a physical, real sense is what is described in the book of Daniel. It says that, uh, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. That's what's not true now, right? The world is still in chaos. The world is still doing its own thing. The, the, the enemy is still at work. And, and we see it, right? We see it everywhere. But know this, that there's a day coming when the, there will be a, a dominion or a rule that is given to the Savior. And know this, that it says that this rule is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. We also ended last time as we'll end today is just that the saints will be part of that. The saints will receive part of that. You who are God's people who have trusted in him will be part of that. Well, how do we handle this life? In light of Daniel chapter 7, how do we handle this life? In the weeks to come, we are going to get into some fearful things, some descriptions that are hard to take. And, and I want to tell you, this: there's really three ways that people handle life. The first one is, this is all there is. This is all there is. Uh, if you ask somebody, what, what's going to ha- happen at the end of this life? You say, oh, there's nothing. Uh, what, how, you know, when's this world going to end? Well, if it ends, there's just going to be nothing. This is all there is. If this is all there is, uh, politics, science, right? This is all we can trust in is now politi- politics, science. Oh, by the way, uh, I said science. Um, there's some grand assumptions when you say the word science, right? There's a grand assumption, right? And one of them, one of the assumptions is what you've seen before will be constant in the future. For instance, uh, some of you are you follow the weather. You've lived here for a long time. And you 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 know, you follow weather reports. Uh, we even have weather people who live here. They're b- big deals. Um, how do they figure out what's going to happen next? Science, right? They study it. And they say, oh, you know, there's this weather pattern. We see this, you know, it's moving this way. There's this kind of clouds. And we know that from the past that when the weather pattern's doing this and these kind of clouds and it's this temperature and the humidity and, you know, all these things together, it's going to rain or snow. And sometimes they're right. And they're getting uh, righter as times go on, right? They're getting more accurate. That's an assumption of the past. That's an assumption of the past. What we've seen in the past, if we see that again, we know what will happen in the future. What's the problem with that? Well, uh, it's right until it's wrong, right? That things are changing, but don't worry about the change so much as you remember this, that why is God sharing with us his plan? Because it's never happened before. It's never happened before. 
And it's the end. It's the end. It's the, the last chapter is what he's sharing. And so if you, you look at the previous chapters, you say, yeah, it just keeps on going. Chapter from chapter, you know, we just, you know, keep going, keep going. This too shall pass, you know, uh, until it won't, right? Until something different happens. I want to tell you, science is a great study of God's creation, of what he's done in the past. But, but make sure you know this, that he's going to do some different things in the future that he's outlined in his word. I want to tell you that it's not all about politics and science. It's not about man's will to make and do history. We're going to make this world a better place. We're going to get together and we collectively will be God and uh, determine our destiny. How's that worked out so far? Right? Things getting better? You know, your computer's faster. You know, it's kind of like you with coffee, right? You can do, do, do more damage with more energy and zeal, right? That's what your computers can do now. Um, this is all there is. That's how some people deal with life. They say, this is all there is. We're just going to uh, try to do the best we can and try to get together and try to make the world a better place through politics, science, and my will to make history better. Or the second way you can do this is you can study the Scriptures. And you can know what's happening next. You can know. Uh, this book, when it speaks of the future, it's writing history that hasn't happened yet. Okay? Think about that for a minute. Uh, it's not just looking at the past and writing down what happened. When it speaks of the future, it's writing history that hasn't happened yet. You can know what's going to happen next, but you can know and fear. You can know and be afraid. And I, I want to encourage you, I don't want that to happen. As we study the scripture, there will be fearful things, but that's not where you're supposed to live, right? You're not supposed to know what God has said and then fear, oh no, the future, I don't want the future to come. I don't want, you know, I'm just afraid of the next day. Oh no, it's going to be terrible. No and fear are, are the way some people handle living this life. And then there's the third option. Know and trust. Know and trust. Know and trust. Not that it's not fearful, but know and trust in the power of the Ancient of Days and the rule of the Son of Man because you're one of His saints. Because you're one of His people. I want to tell you that we won't be able to figure all this out. We won't be able to know everything. But we will be able to know enough to know that we can trust Him as working out of His plan, uh, that His plan is good and perfect, and for His people, it's something to rejoice in. God, thank You for our time together. Thank You for Your Word. Uh, God, I ask that You quiet our hearts before You, that even as... uh, There were the thousands and the people that were gathered before the Ancient of Days and that all were before Him because He's the ruler, the one who's on the throne, that we too would be quieted before Him. We would be confident before Him, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. God, we thank You for this time. We we ask that You just continue to direct our thoughts and steps in the study. God, we do ask that You would help us to walk in faith and trust in You. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.